Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. Kobe Jones has long been famous for his dreads and his ability to run the flank for the U.S. national team, appearing in three World Cups and an Olympics and an illustrious career in Major League Soccer, as well as playing over in England and other spots as well. But it wasn't easy for Kobe Jones. He did not take the normal path to the U.S. national team. He was cut more times than he can count, as he will tell us. And yet he made it, and now he is the all-time Caps leader that's international appearances in the history of the U.S. national team. This was a guy who got cut time after time after time, and yet he leads our country in all-time international appearances. Kobe Jones shares that there are different ways to get to where you want to go, and Kobe Jones shares that next with Christian Labors and myself, Dean Linke, right here on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country with a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. We are so excited about today's guest. He is one of the most iconic U.S. soccer players of all time. Kobe Jones is the all-time leader in caps for the U.S. national team. He is a U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, having been a member of the 1992 U.S. Olympic team, the 1994, 98, and 2002 U.S. World Cup teams. As a player, Jones starred for the late, great Ziggy Schmidt at UCLA while doubling down on national team duty. Kobe also played in England and Brazil before enjoying a fabulous 11-year spell with the Los Angeles Galaxy of Major League Soccer. I had the great opportunity of being with Kobe for his 92 Olympics and 94 World Cup runs as press officer of the U.S. national team, and you could not ask for a better person and player to work with. Now, Kobe has established himself as a top-class soccer commentator for multiple networks. He has a voice, and he plans to use it, including being a part of this week's Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, as he sits down with Christian Labors and myself, Dean Linke. Kobe, great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I I appreciate it. I I love hearing you put all that out there, Dean. (laughs) I I don't think about it too much, but it's, it's great to hear. 
Well, I love saying that because you're one of my favorite all-time players that I think you know. So, well, we already know Christian is waiting, so he's going to drive particularly this first segment and the majority of this show. So, Christian, for this first segment, it's all you. Take it away with the great Kobe Jones. Hey, I appreciate it, Dean. And, uh, Kobe, really appreciate you being on here to talk with us for us to hear a little bit about your story, your journey, and then your thoughts moving forward because I think you got a really unique and, and highly experienced perspective. So maybe I'll just start with, can you give uh, everybody who's listening just a sense of what you're doing now? Because we're, we're going to spend a lot of time on what you did and, and what you're thinking moving forward. But what, what are, what's your role in the game now? What are you, how are you keeping yourself busy? Uh, well, I'm doing I'm doing a lot of things. It's almost like I'm that I'm still that utilitarian player that can play in a variety of positions on the field. But now I'm, I'm doing it off the field to try to give back to the game. I, I can't start off. Obviously, I made the run for the U.S. soccer vice president, where I thought it you know, was a, a position that I could help the game at various levels. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. But I did find out that run opened up a whole lot of other doors you know, that have really, re- really kind of shocked me and are, is allowing me to give back to the game that I love you know, in more ways, more ways than I ever thought. Um, so some of the things that I'm doing right now specifically, you know, right now I'm, I'm the regional broadcaster for the LA Galaxy. You know, I'm doing a lot there. So I broadcast their game. So I'm seeing this, the LA Galaxy club and organization have its ups and downs and the ins and outs within MLS. I do broadcasting for Fox Sports. So I do a lot of the international games. We talk about World Cup. Uh, men's and women's. Um, you talk about MLS, you know, I'm doing a, a lot in that arena. Um, and I plan to be doing a lot more as we go forward. And then, you know, some of the other things that that have kind of come up. I'm working a lot with a variety of different groups. Just announced um, that I've joined the U.S. Soccer Foundation Board, you know, so I am um, continuing my efforts within, you know, underserved communities and within that, that whole region where I've had a relationship with the U.S. Soccer Foundation for about 10 years, you know, and now uh, joining them at a higher position, at a higher level where I hope I can have a, you know, more of an impact, you know, uh, nationally. So that, that should be interesting as I'm sure I'll be learning quite a bit, you know, as I go, you know, in, in that whole arena. And then there's a, there's, you know, just some of the personal things, you know, that, that I'm involved with where I have become an investor owner in Angel City Football Club, you know, the women's team that's going to be joining, you know, next year. So, which I'm pretty excited about, you know, to, you know, everyone says to support the women's game. So yes, of course that, but for me, it's important to actually see professional women's soccer within, within the United States grow and get to another level. I'm excited just to get to a game, you know, and to get it starting. Then, you know, there's a, there's, you know, some personal things I'm working with a group where we're trying to open up some soccer facilities you know, within Los Angeles area and expand to a broader area where we're still at the early stages of getting investors, where we're about three quarters of what we want to do, where we can have some indoor facilities to really allow kids to play, you know, at the game constantly year round under controlled conditions and an exciting, you know, uh, venue, something that I wish I could have had, you know, when I was younger playing those small tight games, you know, all the time. Um, so I think that would be something that uh, will help continue to grow the game. So that that's a general idea. There's a few other things, but you know, those are the main ones right now. So you're not kidding about versatility. You're, uh, you're <laughs> no, no, not, not at all. Look, you, you have to keep yourself occupied, you know, that that's it. And one thing that I found, and you know, when you have, when you are doing broadcasting games and that's the main thing I do, it's, it's on the weekends, right. You know, so it's usually the weekends, sometimes midweek, but 
you, you're working like two to three days before, then you have the game. And then afterwards you have that downtime where you need to do, you know, something else. I have that personality where I need to be doing something. So I have a lot of other things that, that are going to help me, uh, you know, fill that task. And, you know, there's, there, there's other things, you know, that, that, you know, I'm also on the U.S. Soccer Diversity Board. You know, I'm part of the Rose Bowl Initiative. You know, which is, is something special. These are all uh, things that are where you, those things are the ones that you work every once in a while, where it's every few months. You know, that you meet. You are working in between doing stuff, but it's not a, a, a massive time drain. You mentioned that you know you you had the run for U.S. Soccer Vice President, and that you know we had a quick conversation in part of that. But one of the things that in our in our discussion that's really, really struck me was your passion for the youth game and sort of the understanding of the different types of pathways for players. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said, and I was astounded when I first heard it, that when you grew up, ODP was, you know, the primary selection program for the national teams and for a lot of top players. And I think you said you didn't, you didn't make beyond a district level in ODP or beyond the state level, maybe you can correct me on that, all the way through your youth years. Is that correct? Yeah, Christian, you're right the first time. Yeah, I never made it past the district level. Uh, I would make the district team, but then I'd always be cut and released, you know, uh, beyond that point. So it was unfortunate, you know, but it, it's a perfect example that there are a variety of ways, you know, to be successful. And one of the things that I always like to say is what one coach thinks is, is fantastic and what he needs and what is great is not what another coach, you know, thinks. And it's very important that young kids and parents understand that, you know, that you will, you will have different pathways, different ways of getting to that end goal where you want to be. You cannot depend on one coach, even if it's the coach of your team that you're on. Sometimes it's necessary to move on if they don't feel that you're right for them. You know, in my situation, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. The coach that always cut me, you know, cause he was like the district head and he would always cut me at the district level, you know, was always like a coach that I was competing against on my club team, you know? So it's, it's one of these things was like, what did that have something to do with it? He ended up being a coach that uh, later on was an assistant coach for at the university at UCLA where he would come and help out, you know? So there's, there's these, all these different avenues and different ways of, to get there and, and people's opinions change. I guess the best way to think of it is um, imagine trying to say that every fan thinks that this player is the, that one player is the best player. It, it, it's impossible, you know? So it's the same thing with coaches. They're just people. Just so everybody understands, you, you go from in the, in the primary selection platform in the country at the time, ODP, you basically get to step one and never get beyond that. And then you go on later. Now you're sitting here with, you know, between 15 different uh, ventures that you're in, but you look back and you're the, the most capped player for the men's national team in history. And you played in multiple different countries and continents. I mean, the only story that I can think of that, you know, is that sort of exaggerated example is the old Michael Jordan getting cut in high school, you know, and then moving on to be Michael Jordan. And so when you see that, how do you get through that? Because that can't have been easy, especially when it's happening over and over and over. So how do you go from being the kid that, didn't make it and was getting the, the negative reinforcement, at least from that perspective, to just keep going and being successful, regardless of what that was telling you. When you're talking about the pathways, you know, getting there or just the route of, of getting there, you know, everyone will say there's more, there's more than one way. But the really important part is the people that you lean on. You know, you have to have that inner strength, but no, very few people just, you know, magically have the inner strength. 
it's kind of like what you're taught when you have your parents and your friends. It's that support group that's around you. You know, all those different people that are willing to help you. You know what, for me, I'd have to say it was, it was my mom, but my, my parents both grew up in a, you know, that segregated South, right? So they were very, they grew up in a situation where you had to be strong willed. They passed on that attitude towards me and everything that I wanted to do and, and, and how I looked at problems and barriers that were put in my way. If I was cut with the team, my mom would say like, oh yeah, go out to know. She was all about like, you know what? Don't worry about them. That's not your concern. You can't control them. Worry about what you can, can control. Do better and beat your best. That was the one thing that she always used to tell me. Beat your best. You know, so that always was in my mind that the best that I had done, I always tried to strive a little bit more. You know, so for me, it's, it's the support group that you have in your family at home that they're willing to support you. It's your support group with your friends that are willing to stand by your side and basically lift you up at those times where you're, where you're feeling down and your good friends know when you're down and they know what to say and they know what to tell you to kind of get you moving in the right direction. And, and you'll find, you know, over the years, you know, those are the ones that can really support you. It's also, it's also the coaches, you know, that are around too, because as we know, as, as you move up in this game, you're going to have a variety of different coaches and you're going to have a variety of coaches at the same time that could be telling you different things. And as an individual and a, a young athlete, young player, it's important that you go to the coach that is supportive of you at the time. And trust me, they'll switch back and forth, but you got to go to the one that's supportive of, of you at the time because you're still growing and learning. So you need that support. Yes, you take the, the, the comments that are, quote unquote, negative and instructive to heart, but get that support that's also lifting you up. Because if you're getting negative, negative, negative all the time, you're getting cut from teams, things just aren't working your way. That, that's, that's difficult and trying over, you know, a, remember, this can last for a year, a year, two years, three years. So you need to have the support group around you, friends, family, coaches. Those are the ones that can really help you out. I'd imagine there were a, a bunch of different inflection points, you know, in your career where a new opportunity presented itself or you, you saw the opportunity for yourself to become a great player. And, and certainly you got to UCLA, which is no mean feat for anybody. And maybe that was one, but do you remember the first point or one of the big points where you maybe felt like, Hey, I can be a pretty special player. I can play at a pretty high level. Do you remember a, a moment when that hit you or a, a conversation or, or anything that made you think that regardless of what's happened in this other phase of my soccer career, I think I can play at a high level. Look, you always have some belief in yourself and it's, and it's those uh, setbacks or barriers that knock you down. Right. So I've had, I had little steps on the way. There are little moments, you know, talking to different coaches and things like that, that telling you you're good. And, you know, no one thought and, and various coaches didn't think that I was, I think it was at, where I thought that I could play at a real, at a really high level. And at that time, remember, we're talking my college and all that stuff was when I, when I did get to UCLA, because I was a walk-on, you know, when I went to UCLA, you know, I wasn't going to get a scholarship. And, and what people don't know about that class that I was in, it was considered the best recruiting class in the country. So me being a walk-on at that time, there was no expectation of me doing anything. Who, who know, else at, was in that class? The Aaron Moose, uh, the Tim, Gaye Tim Gallegos. There, there are a few others, but it's not a lot of names, you know, that you would recognize now. The, the Sam Georges, the Mike Lappers, you know, that, those were yeah. some of the players. That's, that's four, and there's, 
I think there's two more. Is Henderson, Joe Max Moore, like no, they're younger. They're younger. They're okay. you're, they're younger than me. Okay. Uh, those guys, but my class had, you know, those those names in it with a couple of others. But that's really the point of it all, is is that out of that whole class, I was I was the one that kept going, you know, and made it to to another level. So for me, you know, I, I, I look at that, the moment that was special for me is I think it was one of those first training sessions where all those players were there from that had won a championship just a couple of few years before the, this, the most heavily recruited class and myself. And there's a training session where we were playing like a small sided game. And there was like these scrimmages and you had to like hold the ball. And I kept going and going and kept fighting and fighting the whole time. And I wasn't playing the best, but I was working hard at it. And then after the fact, you know, when we're all stretching and stuff, some of the older players are like, dude, you got to like settle down. What are you work? Why are you working so hard? You know, like that. And I was like, this is just the normal way I play. This is how I do it. You know, <laughs> this, and, and I think it kind of shocked them. And it shocked me to the effect of going that my normal play was impressing everybody there, you know, and that, that was, that was something that I was like, you know what, maybe I have a chance, you know, making this team of taking myself to a higher level. I mean, if you look at that, I mean, again, it's, it's sort of a dream story of youth to walk on at UCLA to college and pro, and now you're broadcasting professional games from all over the place. That pathway that you went through is obviously different now. There wasn't MLS uh, in the same degree, certainly not, not pre-1994 anyway, but the youth environment was very, very different. Where do you see college now in that development process for professional players? Do you think We'll still continue to see pros coming out of college in some degree. How do you look at it now? Because it, it certainly was the process that you went through. It's obviously different. Where do you see college soccer now? Yeah, look, it, it's different. And to be quite honest, it has gone lower on the scale as there's more just academy and just going straight professional. You know, like, like we said, there's, there's different routes, you know, to everything. I still think college has its place. I would like to see college make some changes, you know, maybe extend the season, you know, a bit longer. So you can actually, you know, have the, instead of like that two and a half, three month period, you actually have more time an extended season. You can train a little bit more. These are important. Other sports do it, you know, within, within the game. I think soccer, if they could do that, I think that would be fantastic because I think there's benefits to college, you know, that you necessarily don't get, you know, from, you know, just going Academy. And, and I know the, the, the pluses that everyone says at academies, oh, you're going professional, you're getting that training right away, you know, you're going hard all the time. But also with college, you get that independence. You're not at home, you know, you are away, you have to deal with life and soccer, you know, at the, at the same time, because I, I think professional athletes, you know, you realize that it's not always just soccer that you have to deal with. There's a lot of outside influences. And I think college gives you that first kind of touch of that, where you have to be dependent and independent you know, and that you can have to depend on yourself to get to school on time, get your work done, get to training on time, understanding a variety of different pressures on you and be able to handle it. So I, I think college is good. I think the social aspect of college is very important where you can learn how to interact with people. You know, I think that's very important outside of just soccer people, because if you're in the academy system, you're dealing with soccer people all the time. I don't care what anyone says. 99, 90, 99% of the time, it's soccer people. You're in college, you're dealing with soccer people, you're dealing with people outside of soccer, you're dealing with people with other sports, you're dealing with teachers, you're dealing with administrators, all, all this stuff. And, and it, I think it makes you a more well-rounded person, you know, and, and that's one of the things that we have to remember. I think it's funny 
that now is the only time that people are starting to say that we should only, you, you know, not be well-rounded when it comes to, you know, academy and soccer. You talk about at a young age, even doctors are saying, don't play just one sport, play multiple sports because repetitive injury, you got to be well-rounded. But then when it comes to the college level, it's like, no, just, just stick to this. Not everyone's a Tiger Woods. <laughs> you know, they, they, there's that there's always going to be those exceptions that have played the sport from when they're five, you know, straight through nothing else and become superstars. But there's also ones that have played that sport and nothing else that have not been successful and had to go different routes. So for me, I think all that being said, we realize that there's different paths for everyone. Not everyone matures at the same time and in the same way. You got to give the opportunities and, and look at some of the colleges. Some of the colleges have already adjusted where they've gotten their players, their players with just those short three month seasons of competitiveness to go professional. Look at Maryland. They've done a very good job. You know, you can, you can see that they, they've been sending consistently over the years players. UCLA has done it to a degree as well. Players that are playing at those, that professional level. If we can make some tweaks and adjustments, I think it's possible, you know, that there's, more of a space for college, you know, within the, as far as the next step to the program. Indiana, North Carolina are also great examples as well. We're here with the great Kobe Jones. We're going to take a quick break, pay some bills, and be back with Kobe Jones right here on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I'm your host, Dean Linky, joined by the president and CEO, Christian Labors, and the great U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, Kobe Jones. He's a great announcer, was a big-time player. And, Kobe, you just talked about your time at college and where college fits. I appreciate you still saying it belongs because I do a ton of college soccer, as you know. One of the things I do remember, though, early on is when you made the Olympic team. First of all, that was a big-time team with big-time names that continue to do big-time things in the game. You you know all the names. There was a coach, by the way, who didn't treat me very well, but he treated you really well in Lothar Osiander. He was so mean to me, man. He was nasty. And Colin Lindoris, but clearly Lothar loved the way you played. So from Ziggy to Lothar, talk about that transition. And then from Lothar to Bora, talk about that transition. And there's one thing I do want to say is I felt like I had a front-row seat. I felt like... During the Olympics, you were starting to grow the dreads a little more. Alexi was growing the beard. Like, you guys kind of had a premonition that you were in the middle of something big. And I think it started at Barcelona, knowing that you were working your way to the World Cup. So that's a whole lot of questions in there, Kobe. Hopefully you can address them. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to uh, <laughs> remind me of some of the questions. But I'm going to put you on the spot, Dean, you know, with, with some of your things. First off, you said something at the beginning. Not 11 years in Galaxy, 12 years. Thank you very much. Just, oh, just so 12 you know. years. All right, my bad. Okay, Wicipedia <laughs> sucks. Me, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> I just read it right off Wicipedia, Kobe, yeah. and I'll change that. And another thing, Lothar 
as you said, Lothar loved me. I think he got that one wrong, Dean, because I think people forget. And here it is again. I, Lothar cut me twice, you know, okay. before, before the Olympics. He cut me twice at the same tournament. And, and here's the thing, too. I was a little bit of a Francophile, right? You know, I took French in, 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 uh, in high school. You know, I loved France, you know, everything about it. I always wanted to go. And there was that Toulon tournament, you know, that I always wanted to go to, you know. And guess which tournament he cut me right before twice, you know, <laughs> the Toulon tournament where I was like, really? You know, and it was the last year right before – uh, the Olympics, you know, that I finally made it, you know, and I made it to the Toulon tournament and got to play there. Yeah, that whole time, you know, with uh, Lothar Osiander, you know, it, it wasn't the best re best relationship. It's one of those things where people look back and go, oh, you must have been great. It, it, no, you cut me twice. So obviously I was bitter on the situation. And then we made it to the Olympics. I ended up, you know, starting in the games, you know, which was which is absolutely fantastic in, uh, in Barcelona in, in 1992. Dean, do you remember the mascot there? Man, the I don't remember. I, I remember all I remember is Steve Snow that it was going to snow in Barcelona, and that was a hot mess too. What was the mascot? The mascot was that dog, that little dog. You remember its name? Kobe. That's right. There yeah. you go. <laughs> the exact same way too, which was it was a primitive. It was meant to be. It was spelled C O B I. You know, so <laughs> I do remember that. Hilarious, right? You know, one of those things where it's like, you know what? You know, there's a little bit of something up above saying it was meant to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the time in Barcelona was absolutely fantastic playing there with that group of guys. I think we did we did something special. But as you said, it was a hot mess just as far as, you know, there were there was a little bit of fighting between the players and the staff. And, you know, if we could go to the opening ceremonies or not, you know, all those little things and, you know, a little little bit of push. We, we actually got to go. Yay. Let us go. You know, uh, had the um, the dream team slide in right in between our team, which was great. You know, so, so yeah. we had special moments in those memories. So it was, I'm glad we went that whole Olympics where there wasn't an expectation of us to do well in, in it. And we played pretty well in those games. And that was kind of like that stepping stone. I, I didn't expect a whole lot to happen after that. You know, I was expecting to go back to UCLA and finish up, you know, my schooling because everyone had to leave their schooling for to, to train together for that six month period leading up to the, the Olympics. I was planning to go back after that, but I guess I had a good enough showing there that the coach uh, of, of the national team, Bora Milutinovic, you know, actually he, he did love you, right? He did love you. Yeah, but in that weird way, right? Where he was he was the the loving and doting dad that was going to teach you everything, you know? <laughs> and that everything you had been taught before was wrong. So I get a nitpick on every little thing you do, you know? So Bora did bring us in. I don't know if I have time to tell the story here, but this is a, one of the great stories of, of my career, I think. But um, I'll, I'll do it really quickly. We, were, we went to um, Saudi Arabia and... <laughs> And as you said, Bora, Bora supposedly loved us, all the young guys and everything. And I wasn't playing. And, and this was a, a, a uh, this one against, against one of the African teams. I, kind of, kind of, I was on that trip too, Kobe, by the way. Yeah, I rode the camels I, I and all really that. I remember this story. But, you know, we were at the game and, you know, that, well, sorry, the first game, they didn't do well. You know, they lost. And we had a, the, you know, like the dinner afterwards. And, as players, you know, you, you talk around the table and, you know, we're the young guys. I remember me and Lapper sitting next together and I won't say some of the old guys because I won't blast them, but they were asking us, oh, so what'd you think? Da, da, da. And amongst the players are like, well, I thought this was wrong. I didn't think we did this, this, da, 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 da. all this type of stuff, just amongst the players. Right. And so I guess there was some big row that us young guys first trip didn't know about. 
and the coach had called a, a team meeting, you know, that night. And he starts blasting, you know, I remember Roy Wagerly speaking up and, and, and uh, Miola speaking up and Desmond Art, all these guys. And, and then one of the players, an older player, you know, goes, well, because Boris like, so what's the problem? I hear that there's people have problems with the team, you know, all this stuff. And then one of the older players goes, well, we were talking at dinner and these guys were saying and pointed <laughs> to me and Lapper, my Lapper, the, the young guys on the trip. And our eyes just go like, uh. <laughs> and Boris just got quiet as the, as the guy started saying a bunch of the stuff that we were talking about. And I was just going, really? You're going to throw us under the bus, you know? And after that, Bora went off on us for a good, you know, you know, Dean, as Bora liked to talk, a good 10 or 15 minutes, just blasting myself and Mike Lapper, you know, the whole time. And we were basically like, someone told me afterwards, uh, Desmond Armstrong told me afterwards, he's all, yeah, I thought you were, you were done, that you're, you're gone, you know, from the <laughs> national team, you know? So after this conversation, we all go back, me and Lapper are like, really? This guy threw us on it? What the, you know? <laughs> And so the next game happened and it was against the African country. I can't remember the name uh, exactly, but I'm on the bench, you know, sitting there just going, well, this is my last time with the national team. <laughs> you know, let's enjoy this. You know, uh, Chris Henderson is out there. He's playing and he goes up, you know, and, and goes up for a header and gets hit, you know, and goes down to the ground. Right. And he's not, he's not getting up. And so the trainer goes out and I'm still sitting there, just kind of kicking back, you know, <laughs> shoes untied and you know, don't have my shin guards on. And, you know, they're just like, Kobe, 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 warm up. And Bora looks down and goes, what are you doing? That I didn't have my shoes tied, that I didn't have my shin guards on and starts screaming, you know, so what you do? So he's pissed at me, you know, that I didn't have everything ready to go. And he's like, why not get ready, get ready. And I'm like, oh my God. So I'm putting everything on as quick as possible, getting ready and going back and warming up. And then just like, uh, this is, this trip is the biggest nightmare ever. Then Chris is like, fine. So he gets up and they say he's fine. So he goes back and playing. I'm just like, oh, and I'm warming up for like five minutes. Then one of the older players, another, a different one says, yeah, he's fine. You can come back and sit down now. So I go back and I sit down. Two minutes later, Chris goes up for another header. Bam, head to head again. He's down. And like, he's out. Bora looks back behind the bench to go, where's Kobe? And I'm sitting down. He looks over and I'm sitting down. And he's like, ah, what you do? This is crazy. You know, and he's like, get up, get up. So I'm just like, this sucks. Okay, my I'm done with the national team. So I get subbed in for Henderson. And then I go into the game. And it, within the game goes on, I end up getting an assist and a goal. You know, <laughs> a goal and an assist in the game. And, and we, it, I, I think we ended up winning the game. And then after the fact, I was, I was going on a trip, like a tryout in, uh, I think it was in Germany at Cole. And I was supposed to fly straight from there to Germany. And as I'm walking to the bus, you know, because everyone's kind of going to their separate ways after that, Bora comes up by me and goes, Kobe, Kobe, my friend, you must tell your coach what you do. Where are you going? What are you doing? Let's talk to me. Yeah. And I was like, it's amazing what scoring some goals and having a good time you. You know, you could go. And that's when Desmond told me, he's all, if you hadn't scored the goal in his head, you would have been, been done. And, and it's just like, 
boom, a turn, turn of a dime. That was a pivotal moment in my career, you know, just switched everything. <laughs> That's a great story, man. I'm so, I'm so glad you shared it. I'm going to turn it back over to Christian, but I do want to go back to one point because I did feel yeah. like in Barcelona, and it sounds like you don't necessarily feel the same way, but I really felt like Alexi knew what he was doing. He was playing the national anthem before the games. He was rocking out, and that beard was getting longer by the day, Kobe. He knew what was coming. And I thought your dreads were getting bigger by the day, too. Like, you knew that what was coming, but you're telling me, no, you still weren't sure. No, I was just lazy. You know, I didn't want to cut my hair, you know? <laughs> it takes takes a long time. I tell you, when people don't, don't realize, when you have dreads like that and you have to get them retwisted and stuff, that's like a, a two to three hour ordeal, you know? So it, it, it is a lot of a lot of work in that if you're trying to keep it like nice and tight. But for, but for me, it was just like, I, I just wanted to let it go. I was just having fun. And, you know, to be quite honest, it was, you know, pissing my dad off a little bit. You know, he was like, what do you got on your head? You know, that type of stuff. I was like, well... I'm in college now, you know, I'm an adult. I can do what I want. So I was just letting it go. <laughs> All right, there you go. I thought you were seizing the moment and it just happened for you anyway. All right, I'll turn it back to Christian. Kobe, thanks for going down memory road with me. Yep, yep. Hey, man, I could just hear these stories all day long. So I'll just throw another one out. I mean, one of the most iconic games, I think, in national team history was 2002 in Portugal and that game. And, and I think you went 45 minutes in that, in that game. Is that right? Something like that, where I came in as a, as a sub. The Brian McBride goal in that game, the 3-2, the win in that game. I mean, that, that was one of those, I think, m- people watching remember where they were in that game. But I was going to ask, do you have any stories from that game? Or you got any other moments that uh, you think that were iconic moments that sort of propelled your career or that gave you a different perspective, anything? I mean, because you, you got a huge personality, man, and hearing these stories is awesome. There's a lot, right? I mean, for me, you know, the 2002, you know, World Cup, uh, story you know against Mexico you know I think that one that one's huge just from what it represented with especially within the soccer world and then how it kind of transcended you know into so much more you know just because you have the casual fan paying attention to the World Cup I think that's where we really kind of uh, elevated to another level because people forget up until that point, Mexico and the U.S. have been battling back and forth. Even though the U.S. have won a lot of the games against Mexico in the late 90s and and started flipping the script, it wasn't until 2002 that we met at the highest level, you know, the the biggest tournament, you know, where the whole world's watching, right? You know, we always thought that we were good and competitive against Mexico. Even when we would beat Mexico, everyone was saying, oh, it was just a one-off, even though it happened more than once, and or it was just kind of just a lucky situation or whatever. But when you meet at the World Cup and you meet your, your rival within your region, so we met Mexico in our region, there, there's, no more, there, there, there's no more excuses. You know, this is it. You're playing your best. We're playing our best. You put it out there and who wins? And for us to get through that and, get, and come up with the victory was 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 absolutely amazing. And for myself personally, you know, the different situations when you had Rafa Marquez coming in, you know, with the foot in the side and the headbutt, you know, and him getting red carded and sent off, you know, and us kind of dominating the rest of the game. Though Those were pivotal moments for not only me, but for, uh, for, for U.S. soccer, you know, because it, it really showed that, wait a second, there is a flip. U.S. was on top. Mexico was underneath now. And, and we, due to that, you know, Mexico changed everything changed everything on how that they were developing their players. You know, that's when you started seeing a more physical, you know, type of uh, an aggressive type of player. That's how you had the Chicharitos and the Giovanni Dos Santos start coming out where they, they changed the game understanding that, 
you needed a lot more than just, okay, just be skilled and not use the physical side of the game as well. You know, so that was, that was another, I guess, highlight for me, you know, everything that was going on you know, during that uh, World Cup. So maybe I'll ask a question on that because you talk about Mexico changing their sort of developmental philosophy or framework based on a failure at the, at the highest level. In our country, and, and I, I'm sure you've seen this with the, with the Federation over the years, there always seems to be a sort of philosophy du jour who we're learning from, who we're following, who we're going to be the next of, who we're, you know, whether it's this European country or that European country. And I think if, again, if we had to speak in 20,000 feet, people would look at the teams you played on and say they were, you know, that was a team that, that wasn't looking to the rest of the world for inspiration or for philosophy. That was American players being American players and being the best they could be and having tremendous success. So how do you balance that when you look at it now I mean, you, you just referenced Mexico changing and doing and then developing a great new generation of players. And then you have the U.S. who maybe was very much internally focused and then now over the last 10, 15 years has been looking everywhere else. How do you think we develop the best players in this country? I think you look internally because I, I, one thing that I, I don't buy into this, okay, we're going the, the Dutch system, we're going the French system, we're going, it's like, okay, whoever wins the World Cup, we're just going to go that way? No. I mean, that, that's the problem I think that's happened is that you continuously change and you don't get anything, you know, that, that's a solid base. And, that, and that's what really needs to happen. So that's why I think you look internally. And when I talk about, when I mention Mexico changing the way they do things, it, it wasn't their style. You know, it was just adding ingredients as far as changing that they weren't just going to look at, okay, just the technical player. Well, we want the technical player that also has the physical side to it. That's what they did that really kind of took them up a notch into another level where they started dominating once again. You know, that's something that I think the, the U.S. could do. It's like, okay, don't go, okay, from we're going to play this Latin style or to we're going to play this uh, Dutch style to this French style because you're shifting all the time and then it, it just mixes and you don't have a, a, your own identity. That's what I think the U.S. has to understand, say, okay, what do we want to do? You know, how are we going to play? Are we going to be a, a traditional and uh, style is going to be very defensive, you know, oriented and go on the counterattack? Are we going to be a very attacking team and open up the play? Or are we going to be very skilled and like a slow buildup? Look, I, I think it's got to be a mix because I think this is just the U.S. in itself. It's such a big country that there's always these different styles. But whatever comes down from U.S. soccer and from the playing side of things, let's get the style of what we want to play and try to have that over the, the next decades. And then you fit the players into the system. You know, you don't just keep shifting the system around because that, that's a problem. And, and sometimes you'll have fantastic players that do not fit in the national team system and you don't bring them in. I think we're starting to get to that level where we can start doing that. I mean, look at England. You know, they've had a style, but they've had some, some top players, top goal scorers that just never played for the national team or maybe showed up a few times, but they didn't fit, fit the system. I think we're at a development stage now where we have, you know, such a big country that you have different styles, yes, all over, but let's get the one style for the national team, have it go from the, the top down, uh, as far as this is how we want to play at the senior team. Everybody underneath should be playing this style. Now, that does not mean that other styles are wrong, that clubs are, are playing. It does not mean that clubs should necessarily adjust and start playing exactly like that. It's just how the national team is going to play. You can have a very fantastic career playing 
a different style of play at, uh, that n and never get into the national team, but still be a superstar. You know, and that's what I think people have to realize. We're here with Kobe Jones on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Christian, some guys get it all, right? We already knew he was a good-looking dude. We already knew he was a heck of a player. Now we're realizing how smart he is as well. More with Kobe Jones after this break. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade, the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. ECNL Boys is partnering with Puma for the second year, driving sport forward with the leading products and the next generation of pros who wear them. Puma has proven themselves as the fastest sports brand in the world, the fastest innovation, the fastest players, and the fastest products in the game. They're the perfect partner to complement the speed and talent of our teams. In keeping with their mantra of forever faster, Puma introduces the world's fastest boot, the Ultra. The only boot engineered for speed, the Ultra combines a woven upper with a lightweight outsole for direct forward motion, speed, and acceleration. It's the best in the game, designed for the best players in the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. So pleased to be joined by the superstar that is Kobe Jones, Dean Linky, and Christian Labors with Kobe. And Christian, we'll let you dive right back in for our final segment here with Kobe. Well, you know, you can sense it just talking to you. You got like resilience coming out of like everything, man. Your personality, even telling the stories of difficult moments, you're laughing about it. And I get the sense that that probably sustained you through a lot of your career. Where's that come from? <laughs> I, I I had three older brothers, you know, so <laughs> you have to laugh about a lot because you're you're on the butt of a lot of jokes, you know, at, at that time. So you know, one of one of the things that people always said about me is like it always seemed like I was uh, enjoyed the game because I was always laughing and smiling on the field, and I was even when I was you know corner kicks and stops, I'd be laughing and joking and and having a good time because it's a game. It, it, it people got to remember that it's a game. We're playing a game. You know, and for me, it was a joy to be able to play a game for close to close to what, you know, 30 something percent of my life, you know, just to be able to be out there, kick the ball around, get paid to do it, travel the world, see different things, have experiences that nobody will will be able to take away from me and very few people will be able to do. And, and that's why, you know, I had a joy with it and I still do. You know, it, 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 it's something special to be involved in this sport. And, and as an athlete, I always tell the guys that are playing, play as long as you can and enjoy it as much as you can. Because when it ends, you know, you will appreciate those times and you will miss those times, you know, but more so than anything else, you'll miss that locker room. You know, that, that's the most thing. You'll miss the training sessions. That's what I miss the most. The, the stadiums and the fans, yes, fantastic. But I miss, you know, joking around with the guys you know, in the locker room day in and day out, talking smack, you know, and all those different things. Those are the things that are special that when you're older, you don't get, you know, and, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to deal with, you know, when it's over, but you, you do have to, you know, you do have to deal with it. So enjoy that time and spending time with your bros or your sisters, you know, whichever way you want to look at it. So, I mean, that, that advice, you know, it means one thing when it comes from the guy playing in a pub league saying, Hey, it's a game, enjoy it and have fun. It's, it's another thing when it's a guy with your pedigree that, you know, still comes down to saying that, man, I got to play a game. I got to enjoy it. But you look at youth soccer now and you got 
players and parents that are so caught up in what, where do I got to be? What club do I got to be with? What league do I got to be in? All this stuff that seems to detract from that. You know, and, and you're a guy who I'm, I'm going to guess you just went about your business going through your soccer, enjoying it, but, you know, working your butt off and competing. What advice do you have the young players now as they're looking forward and they have ambition and they have goals. So they're not just out there, you know, kicking a ball. They want to be great. What's your advice to them on the things they can control in their path? Well, I would say one thing, and I'm always taking advice as well, right? It is, it, and, and I've learned recently, and, and I realized I had done it when I was, you know, in the middle of my career or even the start of my career. It was be, be present or be involved, you know, at the moment. You know, that, that's very important. You know, and, that, and that's one of the things that allowed me to do so many different things. So people will say, oh, you're, you're all over the place. You're doing different things. I do a lot of different things, but when I'm doing that, I try to be involved in that moment and you know where I am. So when I was on the soccer field, that was like one of those great places I could be that I could put everything else behind me. You know, I wasn't thinking about, you know, the, the, the schoolwork or, or anything else. It was that sense of relief, you know, I wasn't thinking about relationships or anything. It was out and enjoying the game, the game side of things. You know, even as I went pro, what, yes, you try to get a great contract and you try to do all this stuff, but once that's done, it, it, it's a game and you're on the field and you enjoy the game and learn all the details. And I enjoyed, you know, learning the little nuances of the game of how to, you know, deal with, you know, the one-on-one -on -one battles, the, the two V two battles, the 11 V 11 battles. There's all these little nuances within it. And I would say be present where you're at. So you can learn about the game when you're at and then be present in those relationships that you have, you know, with the different and the, the variety of people, because they will be that support system and that support group that I talked about, you know, that you will need, you know, trust me, everybody needs it that you will need, you know, in the future. So that, that's probably one of the best pieces of advice, you know, that I could give. Great advice there, Kobe. What about uh, as we try to continue to fight racism and be about equality and love, where do you stand on the importance of this, you know, divisive racial world that we live in and making good strides? And then even more importantly, seeing more people of color in coaching jobs and administration jobs and presidential jobs, that type of situation within the game. A lot of questions again, Dina, right? <laughs> Look, uh, I mean, my platform was all about, you know, uh, you know, having a more diverse and equitable, you know, situation within U.S. soccer, you know, so I'm behind that 100%, you know, and, and I think we've got to remember U.S. soccer isn't just, you know, just the, in Chicago, just that organization, it's all the constituents that are involved with it, and, that, and that's, I think that needs to go you know, from the top to the bottom, bottom to top, you know, every way where we can try to spread out, go into those underserved communities, go into the rural communities, the inner city communities, and try to reach out and bring more people into the game and find ways, you know, to overcome those barriers to entry and those, those, uh, those blocks that are, that are there to allow kids to be more involved, that can allow coaches to get more involved. Uh, the, the, it's all important. Because for me, the diversity allows more opportunity, you know, and gives more creative ways of approaching all the problems that we have. If you have, you know, people that have come from the same background or the same, same think, you know, that it's gonna, everyone's gonna look at the problem the same way. If you have different backgrounds, people thinking a little bit differently, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I didn't think of that before. Maybe this, maybe that could work. You know, so I think it's very important that we look at not just um, racial diversity 
you know, that we look at a variety of, of diverse issues, you know, we're talking about bringing, you know, more women into the game, more people of color into to the game, you know, these are all things that will help, you know, uh, not just U.S. soccer, but, but soccer in general, you know, going forward, you know, I've always been a big believer that soccer, you know, especially when you get to the highest levels is a fantastic, a fantastic way of breaking down racism. Why? Because when you are playing this sport and you are traveling, you know, around the, your county and traveling around your country and traveling around the world, you see people of different races, cultures, creeds, religions, everything playing the game and realizing that when it really comes down to it, everyone has the same issues. <laughs> everyone wants the same things, you know, and, it, and it's about, you know, just helping each other out, you know, moving forward. So I, that's why I, I, I love my kids, you know, uh, playing, you know, any sport, you know, to, to be honest, but when they were playing soccer and the hope there is that they have that opportunity to travel and do all the different things that, and everything that the sport has to give. And I think that's an exceptional way to wrap this, man. I, I really appreciate you being here and sharing so much. Really hope to, if you can squeeze in more time to be involved in soccer activities beyond the 10 things you're doing right now, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'd love to have you involved with more stuff we're doing in education and other programming, but Really appreciate you and, and what you've done, not only as a player for this country, but now moving forward and giving back in so many other different ways. And really appreciate you being here today. Uh, thanks for having me. And, you know, just let me know. I can always try to find some time. <laughs> Kobe Jones, great to have you on Breaking the Line, the Easton Now podcast. Good to see you, my man. Really appreciate it. Good seeing you both. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Kobe Jones. Also want to thank all the great people at ECNL, Andrea Wheeler and Jacob and Diana. And you know who you are, as well as Mary and Erica from our outstanding PR firm. I want to thank Colin Thrash, our producer. For each and every one of them and all of you, this is Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I'm Dean Linke, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.